On this episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience, John Maddox visits luxury real estate agent Christoph Chu at his Zen-like office in Beverly Hills. The two speak about selling multi-million dollar homes with his iPhone, working with some of the wealthiest families in the world, why you may want to start communicating through videos, and much, much more. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million dollar opportunities. Welcome to the show. We're here with Christoph. Uh, we're in Beverly Hills. This is a great spot. Tell us how you got into the business. Wow. Um, I was 18 years old when I got my license. Uh, at the time, I had worked many jobs from when I was 12, but at that time, I was mostly modeling as a fashion model. Okay. And my wife now, of 26 years, we were dating, and she didn't like the fact I would be gone two, three, four months at a time, mm-hmm. modeling, all the pretty girls, the parties. <laughs> so she said to me, how about getting a more stable job? Well, young and dumb at 18, I didn't really have any ideas. So I said, what do you have in mind? And she said, how about real estate? And my uh, 18 year old perception of real estate was I could be my own boss, drive a fancy car, show pretty houses and make a lot of money. (laughs) I didn't know there was such a thing as escrow, title, inspections, loans, appraisals. I just thought you showed nice. Yeah. (laughs) I just thought you showed houses and you made money. So that's, so I was actually uh, modeling that summer and I did a home study course, came back, took my license and passed, test and passed and started working. Just Jumped in and started doing it. That's great. Had no knowledge of real estate before that. Did the past, did your career in the past and modeling help you at all in real estate? Um, I think everything I've done has helped me in real estate. I, mm-hmm. Starting at 12 years old, I worked cleaning apartments. Mm-hmm. My mom was a hairdresser, so I would clean her clients' apartments. I'd have to get up, and this was on Saturdays, I'd have to get up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, go with my mom to a beauty shop, help her at the beauty shop, meeting customers, giving them donuts, making them coffee, sweeping the floor, and all the kind of work you have to do. And then I would go clean apartments. So it was hard work, getting up early. My mom always had an amazing work ethic, so that was one. And then I worked at the Hollywood Bowl, I worked Valley Park in cars, I worked as a uh, cashier at a market, I worked as a waiter in bars and restaurants in France. So I think everything I've done has been an accumulation to help me where I am today because we are in a people business yep. particularly in Beverly Hills we have a lot of international buyers and mm-hmm. a lot of people from all over the world many different cultures I may have an, an Indonesian client in the morning a local guy in the afternoon a client from uh, Russia in the evening so we have to kind of dance and understand cultures and people so yeah everything I've done has helped me in real estate for that's, sure that's fascinating yeah, yeah work ethic is huge yeah obviously and that's that's, that's shown how you've uh, work ethic is important Important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you you do listings. You do you help buyers yeah. as well. Um, what what? Let's talk about the different types of homes that you list okay. and, and you you show. I mean, you said you have all kinds of clients from foreign national yep. to you know to locals to I'm sure celebrities. Yep. And, you know the whole gamut. Yeah. What uh, what has been some of the uh, the interesting things about you know the different different types of people, whether they're foreign or whether they're local. Uh, does it does it change at all? Is there any difference, in, you know, with, with different type of buyers like that? That's a really good question, and uh, my day can be extremely diverse. Like yesterday and this morning, for example, I'm work. I just signed a four hundred and forty thousand dollars listing. Right. Uh, past client of twenty some years. She has a little condo in the valley, so we listed. We treat them all the same. We're all human beings. We're all people. They all deserve to be treated with respect, kindness, and have a wonderful experience, regardless of the price range. Right. Um, 
so that on the other hand I got a call two days ago for a major 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 celebrity couple looking to get a property in LA so that's a whole different aspect dealing with business managers and assistants and right. and I know who they are I've met them but I, I'm, I have not talked to them yet about this but it's their people handle it all and then I'm also working on a deal right now a listing that's in the 58 million dollar range mm-hmm. that, you know trustees and attorneys and family members and uh, all that dynamic and then I'm dealing with uh, other clients that are past clients that are looking to buy another house in the hundred and plus million dollar range. So my day can be from four hundred thousand dollar condo in Granada Hills, Tarzana, right. to hundred million dollar buyer that's one of the richest families in the world. Wow. So it's it's a very diverse uh, marketplace that I'm in, which I like. Yeah. And it, it keeps things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that's true. Like with with you know dealing with business managers versus a you know just a, a family maybe they're a couple they yeah. don't have all the you know the the benefits of having luxury uh, assistants and right. accountants and you know all these business managers. Right. Is it? Do you find it more difficult sometimes? Or, or I wouldn't say more difficult. More work to deal with someone who maybe doesn't have all those amenities or those you know those help all the additional people that can help them in a transaction is it does it get a little bit is it more work for you or do you I think, think it actually could be the contrary okay. I think the more people they have the more difficult it can be right because uh, if you're dealing with a celebrity or a very very high net worth individual right yes at a certain point they're going to make the decision in now business people are different than celebrities now business people that own companies and run companies uh, the men and women they're business people so they know to make quick decisions they're right. decisive and they make the decisions right they may consult with their lawyers or whatever at some point in time but quite often a celebrity in particular they often their people will come first to preview the house to make sure it's a right fit because they're busy not that everyone else isn't then they'll come and see that make sure that they like it then you've got the business manager coming the PR manager, maybe their mom or sister and cousin. So quite often with the celebrities, you might be dealing four or five different times showing that house mm. before they even make an offer. Interesting. Whereas with a, a businessman or a businesswoman or a couple that's in business, they come, they like it, they make a decision, hmm. they write an offer. Now then, once the offer is written and accepted, then the lawyers jump in and there's like the best lawyers and they hire the best people to make sure everything is taken care of, creating, you know. So, uh, so the the more people they have can make it more challenging. Right. Your regular couple that's buying and selling a home, you're dealing directly with them in most cases, so it's direct line of communication. Uh, that's usually easier than going through two or three different people because, again, you communicate with the assistant or the business manager. You don't know what that translation goes from yeah. there to them or two parties Sometimes down. Sometimes it can be like the telephone game. Right. 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 So I often try to do a video communication, meaning mm-hmm. I will send an email video with what I want to say and hopefully their people will forward it but I usually have their email so I'll send it to them as well keep the loop of the attorneys and business managers so that there's no discrepancy of what I said and what they hear interesting so has video changed the way you do business now that you have you know email and video I mean you've been in the business a while 32 years 32 years and so when did you start doing videos for your clients I started doing videos in 2008 okay Um, so I started 2008 uh, mostly for the point of producing and promoting my product 
properties and listings, right. promoting the, I'm selling, I'm not selling a house in LA or a condo or an apartment, I'm selling a lifestyle. Right. So I'm here to promote and educate people around the world since I have a lot of international buyers mm-hmm. as to what that lifestyle is. So videos have definitely helped in building my brand. It's helped in educating people about our marketplace that then become clients because they find my videos. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it now is helping me in communication with those clients because, you know, I use a system called BombBomb to do my email videos uh, okay. for emails. I'm sure you've heard of BombBomb. Yeah. And they have their new book called Rehumanize. Because look, basically starting about 10, 12 years ago, when I started, there were no computers. We had fax machines and old MLS books. Well, then computers right. came in, fax machines disappeared, then the cell phones came in, and now we're in a world where everyone lives on their cell phone. Oh, yeah, selfies. So, yeah. And, yeah. and we got to a point five or six years ago where kind of people lost all personal communication. It all became emails and texts, hmm. which is good for efficiency and getting quick answers and responses, oh, yeah. but it really loses a tremendous amount of information. Even when I'm getting texts, I might be at a stoplight or walking somewhere and I read a text and I may be reading it too quickly and I'll miss a word and then I totally misunderstand the meaning of that text. And right. then when I see the people, I said, oh, he's, oh, I didn't say that. I read, oh, oh, I didn't read it properly. So I try to now... Quick communication, yes, but I try to really communicate via video. That's cool. And even if it's texting them a video, uh, I find that it's very, very helpful. And buyers that are around the world, I mean, I've, I've sold many a property directly from videos with the clients out without even seeing the house. Wow. And and you I'll just go, walk through it. And I'll go through the house with show. my iPhone. I'll do a video or my camera. I record it. I send it to them on a private, and they're long videos, so I send it on a private link mm-hmm. on YouTube. And um, they bought houses from sight unseen from videos. So do you think mortgage brokers should use that or adopt that if, if, if they're comfortable enough? Um, you know, when, when responding to clients, you know, maybe they're a buyer and uh, just want to send them a quick message. Do you think it'd make sense for them to do a quick video? And instead of being, I, I, it's really true. It's, we've lost that personal touch. Yeah. And often we deal with, you know, as mortgage people, we deal with buyers and borrowers that are not local or yeah. are not, you know, we can't sit across a desk like this. Yeah. But, um, you, have you seen a difference in your business when you started making those type of videos? Absolutely. I think for sure mortgage brokers should do it on many levels, just like I do. Uh, mortgage business, real estate business is basically the same thing. You've got a person who wants to buy or sell a house or refinance, right. and it's a very stressful situation for them. Right. Whenever it comes to money or housing, it's, it's nerve-wracking. I don't yeah. care how rich you are, your first house or your... 50th house, it's still a stressful experience. So how do we take that away? So for me, uh, I don't like to, you know, sending, particularly for example, a market update, or you're trying to educate a buyer on how mortgage rates work and the differential between um, owner, there's so many intricacies to loans, sure. right? How do you, first of all, it takes so much time to write an email, and even I type really fast, it takes a lot of time to write an email. Sure. So to me, I'd much rather just turn, pop my computer on, I go to my email, push the bomb bomb button, and I do my market updates. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll have the, the, the data attached to the vid, to the video, right. like all the spreadsheets and all that, but I want them to see my expressions, see my face, mm-hmm. my emotions. Right. Just like when we're negotiating on a deal, I try to, at a minimum, first of all, try to do a live video chat with them so I can see them when we're talking what they're thinking and saying. If not, then a phone call. But I try not to do that with text and email. It's just you lose so much in the translation. It's it's fascinating how easy it is to misconstrue a text. It's very easy. Yeah. Very easy. It happens it, all the time. It happens so much with, with people. And I think that's great advice. So, um, so do videos. And yeah, 
do Particularly in the mortgage space, like I'm trying to do more and more educational videos mm-hmm. that help educate sellers on the whole process of, you know, buying, negotiating, and what, what, to do, what, what to be prepared for with inspections. Yesterday I just did one about uh, contingencies because mm-hmm. we're just doing another transaction. My sellers have not sold for, have not, they bought this house 20 years ago, but they haven't sold. Mm. Um, although we've done deals for his friends, part of it, but they haven't sold. So, you know, there have been a lot of questions about what does a contingency really mean? You know, because there's many different contingencies in a deal, right? You, right. Have, you have the inspection, you have the disclosures, you have the title, you have the loan, you have the appraisal, whatever. So I did a video yesterday trying to educate people, and it's it's going to be helpful to buyers, it'll be helpful to sellers, it'll be helpful to agents as to what that all means. And I right. talked about the different types of contingencies mm-hmm. and what it means when the buyer removes all contingencies. And I can take <laughs> a sigh of relief and yeah. kind of generally know you're probably going to close, although it's never a guarantee. And, right. and I talked about how things can still happen and buyers can change their mind and right. and you know even if there's no contingencies they can still cancel the deal and right. and then sellers think oh I'm getting all that deposit money well not necessarily you know yeah. you know yeah so I think educating people is really important um, because you never know what stage someone is in their thinking or process but if they if you educate them and you help them and they like you and they trust you, trust comes from giving proper information, they'll want to do business with you. So. Right. And I think that also that's scalable, right? You can, like, if you have one client that needs to know that information, you're probably going to have several others. A lot of clients, yeah. yeah. So you can just forward that same video or, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you make it personal, so you may not yeah. want to forward the same video. Right. But maybe there's a portion of that video that you could edit and send it, you know, or use multiple times, right? Yeah. Just kind of scale. And the educational, I have a, a foreign buyer coming to LA in uh, two weeks. We've been communicating online for about a year. Uh, starting about three months ago, we started doing live. I said, let's do a live video chat. I got him. He's, he's not paying cash. It's in the $7 million range, but I got him pre-approved with my mortgage broker. And then I said, let's do a live video chat, which we did. I wanted to see him face to face and kind of get to know who he is. We talked about being prepared for the process. I sent him a couple of, he found me from videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I sent him a couple of videos about the process of buying as a foreign national because mm-hmm. he had some questions. And I said, we answered the questions. I said, but let me send you the video as to the process because it's not that different than a than a local buyer but and I also talked about in that video that it's not an issue when you buy but when you sell there's other differences too right you know foreign investor property taxes uh, taxes and state and federal withholdings and all that kind of stuff right sure. and then I also sent him another video about uh, the home inspection process meaning once you sign a contract this is what to expect so you, he liked that these are videos I did a year or two ago right. I just forwarded them so at his leisure he can spend I think they're both 15 20 minute videos he can watch them educate himself and I said send me an email with any further questions you have which he did with 10 points so did we can he video back to you or no no, just um, a straight email. Yeah, straight email. And so I think it's it's particularly like even two weeks ago when the mortgage rates dropped again, mm-hmm. or three weeks ago, uh, even though I don't have a lot of clients who do mortgages, I did discuss that because it does fuel the perception of the country and people overall because the market was cooling end of last year, first part of the year was pretty slow, and then the mortgage rate dropped. And I understand now that two thirds. Two, twice as many, or two thirds more refinancing now than there were three months ago, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So it means people are like excited. And I talked about in the video. I said it's it's amazing to me that all of a sudden people are so excited to now get a loan when it's a quarter point difference, right? right. Well, when I started in 1989, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but rates were 17, 18 percent. Oh yeah. So people's attention span is like this, right? Mm-hmm. So the young millennials said they have no idea what that even means, right? But you know, people back in the 80s, and I did a lot of deals. 
80s and 90s were paying 16, 17, 18 percent to buy a house. Yeah. And other countries say they're paying that. In, in Turkey, I think they're paying 20 percent for mortgages. Oh, I believe so. It. People, when they're like, "Oh, rates went up a quarter point, we're not going to buy a house," I'm like, "Do you realize <laughs> it's still the lowest rates in 50 years? Yeah, you're going to wait till it's." You know, then you're you're out of the market. Right. Period. Yeah. You know. That's, so that's very good information. That's so. Um, one of the ways I found you was I was looking on online for luxury properties. Right. Even though we talk about you know all customers we treat equally, yeah. uh, regardless of the loan amount, regardless right. of the, the the sale price. But the truth is, you know, we all you know as as humans love to look at luxury real estate. Sure. Right. Online. Sure. We watch TV shows. There's all these shows online. I mean, on TV. What um, what is one of the most memorable transactions or homes that you've sold in the in the upper range? I know you've sold in the you know multi million dollar range. So, do you have anything that stands out that was like a God? There've been so many wonderful, and, and that's one of the things I love best about luxury. I've I've traveled all around the world many times. I speak many languages. Uh, I made it a point in my life and business to always be around and work with the wealthiest and most interesting people in the world. They don't have to be the richest. A great artist that's cool and interesting is interesting. Yeah. But, you know, people who have money have a lot of opportunities and things that they can do that others can't. Right. So I've always done this. So being in a luxury property allows me an opportunity to see great architecture, great art, antiquities, uh, landscape design. So there's a lot of, I'm very visual and I love all of, I was always into those things. So mm-hmm. in the in the regular marketplace, you don't really have that. And I think it's 400,000 Alconahan, I love it, I'm happy to sell it, but it's not architecturally significant. It's not a lot of the other bells and whistles that a luxury home will have. Sure. So I, I really, uh, I'm naturally drawn to those high-end properties and I love those and I really pursue those. So that's what I, you do what you're good at yeah. and what naturally works for you. So in terms of memorable, the most memorable was a home I sold a while back and it was at the time 30 million today it's probably 55 60 million wow. it was in an area called Homby Hills which has always been a little known area in Los Angeles between Beverly Hills everyone knows Beverly Hills yeah. some people have heard of Bel Air mm-hmm. but Homby Hills not many people know about it and I think there's only 300 and some homes in this community now Recently, people know about it because the Playboy Mansion sold there last year for 105 million. Wow! And then a few weeks ago, the most expensive home ever sold in California sold there for 120 million, 117 million for a home. Right. So, uh, so that house was in Homeby Hills. It was our friend's home, and I listed it. And it, one of the most beautiful homes I'd ever seen up until that point. Beautiful architecture, incredible property, and they had an amazing art antique collection. Uh, it was a long listing because in the high end market, typically I'll take a year or two listing. Mm-hmm because it can take a few years to sell those kinds of properties. We listed it, it was eight, nine months in the market. The owners uh, were moving out of the country and they called and said, would you would you and your wife mind living in the house while it's for sale? Because they had this very expensive home. The art and antiques were worth more than the home. Wow. They wanted kind of someone there and their family member or the brother was, was going to stay there, but he had three kids and a family and a school down, they didn't want to do that. Yeah. So initially I didn't want to, but I did because I knew I would help sell the house living there. So that was really great because once we lived there, then we could really, we did some staging with our own furniture. We uh, did a lot of events to promote the house. At the, We did charity events, events with Rolls Royce and Rob Report Magazine and top jewelers in Beverly Hills and vineyards and 
to bring the wealthy of the wealthy in LA to come see the house to potentially buy it. So that was my most memorable experience because it was, you know, to live in a 16,000 square foot, you know, $30 million home uh, with staff and uh, was really nice. So that was my most memorable and fun probably of all of those experiences. That's a cool perk. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And we sold it. That's that's even better. Yeah. And I remember the day we were moving out uh, a day after a big party and, and I went back to my home. We have a lovely home. Was it kind of bittersweet? Did you kind of get get used to living Oh, yeah. There? We got used to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was over an acre property. And uh, I remember in the hot summer days, I'd come home and go in the pool and just... To live in a, you know, base to, to enjoy living like your home in a, that kind of property right. was really amazing. I know now, before that, I always wanted a house that big. I definitely don't want a house that big. Interesting. Because they had four full-time gardeners every wow. day, five days a week. They had three full-time painters that came five days a week. They were painters? Co- painters, because they just were very particular and everything was perfect, like everything was maintained impeccably. Wow. So these painters would go around the house all year long, you know, wall to wall to wall, outside and inside, and repaint and touch up everything. Wow. all the time so it was a great experience and I really enjoyed it I hope to have another one like that that's cool but going back home to my house that first night uh, they had a, they had a, the men's steam shower was about the size of my office <laughs> so you go and it was a beautiful all marble slab steam shower right wow. when I went back to my house I did like a regular stall shower <laughs> yeah I felt so claustrophobic in there. So, but I'm always grateful for what I have, and I was grateful to have that opportunity to live there. So that was fun. That's great. Now, now, you mentioned something about not wanting to live in a 16,000 square foot right. house. Do you think that you know? I've heard in, in the news and just just following things that there is a trend towards going towards smaller homes. Yes. Do you see that in your business as well? A trend overall to that, yes, I think uh, people are realizing it's so much. When you own a home of that size and grounds, and there's so much work to be done. And people who own those kind of homes typically will have four or five homes around the world like that. Right. Uh, they may have an apartment in New York, a place in LA, maybe something in Hawaii, maybe Europe, but they'll have multiple properties. And these are my friends, and we sit at dinners and lunches, and they talk about when they come to their main residence and they sit down with their. And most of these people have a house manager or. A, kind of in the old days it was called a butler but nowadays right. it's more of a house manager who is kind of a butler but people don't live that formally so that butler house manager kind of runs that household and, and gets the, staff. the mail make sure everything's stopped but they also the, the, the main one will run the houses for the other houses as well but they'll tell me they'll come home after being gone for three four weeks they'll sit in their office with the house manager with piles this high of folders for each property <laughs> oh this one needs a new roof this one the pipe burst and this you know so this the more you have Materially, the more you're attached to it and the more problems happen and the more it takes away from your peace of mind. Wow. Um, so to me, when I was younger, I'm 50 years old now, I wanted more and bigger and now I'm less and less is better because... More money, more problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the more things you have, the more insurance you pay, the more things that break and you know, all that stuff. And it's just, you have to get to a point where you have to kind of just let it go yeah. because just can't be attached to all that stuff. So yeah, I do see a trend towards smaller. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of very wealthy people that um, when they travel, they have five or 10 security guards and they have nannies and they have um, um, massage therapists. They have chefs with them. Right. So they'll have, you know, 25 people in their entourage with them. So they need big homes. Right. Uh, and they want the main home to be kind of just the family and the nannies. And then in the guest houses or other structures, they have their security guards and other things. So, That's cool. so there's kind of the, the, the smaller people, people want smaller things. And then those who still want bigger. Okay. I mean, there's a house being built right now in, in Bel Air. That's a hundred thousand square feet. 
Wow. Yeah. So it's huge. And there will be a buyer for that. There will be. A, yeah. So speaking of uh, Bel Air in, in this area, I, I've seen on you know Redfin, different websites, you see just the number of listings that yeah. are over five million, over ten million, over right. twenty million. Has there been an overbuilt? Like is, it, is it overbuilt in this area, or would you say it's kind of along the lines of what's you know kind of selling? So it's not crazy overbuilt. Some of the investors that we work with, some of the hedge funds, their insurance companies, you know, they look at they look at this area and they go, "Man, there are a lot of homes in that price range." Yeah. And they get nervous. They, yeah. they, they maybe not don't want to buy a loan or they, they look at the value and go, I don't know if that value is really there based on the supply and demand feature. Yeah. Is that is that kind of, do you see that also in this area or do you think that we have enough, is Los Angeles big enough to absorb that many listings? I see absolutely LA is big enough to absorb it all. Um, number one, we have a very diverse economy. I mean, mm-hmm. we have the entertainment industry. We have a lot of business. Uh, recently, the last few years with Silicon Beach and Google and all of those right. big internet companies moving here, that's increased more people here. LA is LA. It's not getting any bigger. Right. So we've been talking about this. It, what's happening is it's a trend vertical because mm-hmm. there's nowhere else to go. And, and it's well, not like new homes are being built, right? They're mainly remodeling or tearing down right. an older home and making it into this amazing modern. Right. In some areas, I would say eight to nine out of every single home is being torn down and built brand new. Wow. And they're selling. I mean, they're tearing down 25, 2700 square foot homes that were mostly built in the 30s and 40s, maybe mm-hmm. early 50s. Uh, but that's just not today's lifestyle. People right. don't want that small home. They want sure. bigger homes. They want higher ceilings. They want all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. so we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, most of the west side prime neighborhoods, you'll see most of the, a lot of new construction. I mean, in some areas, like I said, eight to 10 homes are being built. Now, some areas... Two years ago, when the market started to change, I could feel it. Uh, I would be up in the Hollywood Hills, and part mostly the Hollywood Hills, and there were so many brand new construction, modern glass box homes. Right. And at the time, there were maybe 35 or 40 in the pipeline to be built that were in the 15 to 25,000 square foot range that were going to be selling for 20 to 35, 40 million. Well, I knew based on the data that there was not going to be enough buyers to absorb that product over the next few years. Mm -hmm. So for example, right now today, a a lot of those houses are still sitting there because there's too much of that particular product in that Mm. particular neighborhood. And, um, you know, where they could have sold a couple years ago for 22 or 23 or 25 million, because there's too many of those now and they've all been sitting on the market, they're trading at 20 or under 20. Mm. You know, even some that sold for 23 million a couple years ago are now reselling for 18 or 19 because there's other newer homes. So so it depends on the area where there's other areas where... You know, you have a 7,000-foot lot, and people pay $2.5 million, buy as a teardown, and, and build new. Right. Um, and that's very common. And now, the flippers aren't doing that so much. They're kind of out of the game now. They're not really buying the flip. Mm-hmm. It's owner-users. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of people that have money, uh, that have inherited or are inheriting wealth from families, mm-hmm. uh, the younger generation, and um, they're buying properties and building homes for themselves. That's yeah. cool. And they're, are they like a second home, or is it... Primary homes. A primary home. Yeah. Okay. I mean, most of LA is primarily a primary home market, right? but the Beverly Hills area, Bel Air, Holmby Hills, Hollywood Hills, we tend to have a lot of uh, homeowners that are second, third, fourth, fifth. fifth. Especially international buyers. Yes, right? yeah. yes. That yeah. makes sense. Or, or U.S. buyers. I mean, a lot of people live in LA, have live in New York or Chicago uh, or Canada, and they. but when it gets cold in the winter, 
or too hot in the summer, they want to come to LA. Right. Yeah. We have the best weather. And that's what happens. Almost everyone at some point in their life, if you have some money, will come to visit LA, right? Right. right. Disneyland, Hollywood, everybody wants to be here. Yeah. They come here, they like it, they see the temperate weather, they see that we've got the city, we got downtown, we got the west side, Beverly Hills and the best shopping and restaurants and mm-hmm. houses. You got the beach twenty minutes away, you've got skiing an hour away, you've got the desert and golfing two hours away. Uh, you've got everything very close by. Very few places in the country really have such diversity and such nice overall temperate weather. That's right. I, I'm, I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the weather here. All right. So you were on HGTV okay. on a show uh, called Selling Selling LA. Selling yeah. LA. That must have been a cool experience. It yeah. was fun. Yes. Awesome. So um, negotiations are important, right? In sales and business. Right. And when you so when you're a, a real estate agent, you know, so was some of that drama or was it real negotiations uh, that was on the show? Oh, so good question. So the show I was on was on HGTV called uh, Selling LA. Okay. And prior to that. Uh, before our show came out was a show called Million Dollar Listing, mm-hmm. which I was going to be on first year, first season, first cast member. This is eight or nine years ago. And uh, at the last day after six months of screen tests and interviews, we're about to sign the contract. I was pretty excited because that was the first real estate reality TV show of all of them. Right. Selling Lay was first, then it was New York, then it was Miami and, you know, San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, I was going to be famous, be on TV. I was like, this is great. So I was sitting down with the casting director, the um, uh, producer, and my wife and I. And and we're about to kind of get to the deal with signing the contract. And I said, what do you guys want out of the show? It's not clear to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're Bravo. We're, we're a network where we want ratings. Mm-hmm. We want drama and fights between the agents. <laughs> and I said, I looked at them. I said, you know what? That's just not for me. So I did not. I mean, I've been a, I've been a, a, a pop-up guy on the show, but I've not I've never been a cast member because I just did not want to be in a show, and that's partially scripted and it's manufactured. Right. Um, I didn't want to be on that. So, a couple years later, when HTV contacted me and said we were doing a show called Selling LA, same drill. We sat down and I said, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, we're a Midwest. I think he said we're a Midwest network. We want real deals and and we want real clients and real deals that actually close." Hmm. I said, "That's great. I'm into that." I said, "But the thing is, once we start shooting with a buyer or a seller, I really don't know for sure if that deal is going to actually happen." Right. So that was the challenge with our show. So our show was definitely. I used to love watching Selling. And all those, but I love watching the drama. Our show didn't have a lot of drama. Our show was really real, like the, all the episodes I did. Those were real clients, real deals that happened. Wow! Um, and it was it was the real stuff. Yeah. So um, the TV, they want to show drama. Hey, the more drama there is, and when you throw a glass of wine in another agent's face, or you slap someone, <laughs> of course people are like oh, when you see they see, oh my god, I gotta see you know Josh slapping his face. You right, know, right, right. <laughs> I watch it too, right. but uh, that's not what I wanted to be part of. Yeah. So, do you think negotiations in real estate aren't that dramatic, like the TV's you know, shows portray, or do you think there are some there's some t- moments in real estate where you get that kind of negotiation uh, drama? Negotiations can be very dramatic, um, and especially be, on the big ticket. Yeah, can be very like one of the episodes I did uh, with a client. Um, he bought a ten million dollar house. Uh, he's he's a partner in a law firm, one of the biggest in the country. They have several offices around the country. And uh, we'd seen the house and he says, what is it worth? I said, it's worth just over 10 million. They were at, they started at 14.5 and they dropped it to 12.9 week before we saw it. I said, it's worth just over 10 million. I says, what do you think we should offer? I said, we should offer 9.395. He says, nope, I'm going to offer 8.3. I'm like, well, 8.3, that's pretty far away. And right. it, particularly, they just dropped it to a million. 
Uh, nope, that's what I want to do. So in that particular case, we started negotiating at A3. Um, it was tough, and he would only come up a hundred thousand a counteroffer. <laughs> I think we went back and forth eight, ten, eleven times over a couple week period. Now he would respond quickly, mm. um, and then it was around Thanksgiving time, if I remember correctly, and uh, we were we were in the low nine million range at that point. And I said, let's come back. He says, nope, I don't want to counter right. And I said, what are you talking about? You love this house. You want this house. Yeah. Nope, Thanksgiving's coming up next week. I don't think anyone's going to be buying right now. It was a house that was full of mold. They were going to buy it and gut it down to the shell and rebuild the whole. It was a 12,000 square foot house. They were going to rebuild it. And mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of people that wanted to rebuild a 12,000 square foot home. Um, he said, Nope, I want them to see that they want to sell more than I want to buy. Mm-hmm. So we literally stopped for like two weeks. And of course, for me, it was stressful because I'm like, I want to make a deal, right? Yeah. So and we you've stopped. Been working for, hard. Yeah. yeah. And it was like 10 or 11 counters and uh, a couple weeks later and if I called him he called me said let's put in another offer we put in another offer another eight or nine times back and forth and we made the deal and we closed the deal so but I think with the negotiations the most important thing is trying to know as much well first of all typically negotiations in real estate it's broker to broker Mm -hmm. so it's really important to know that broker well or get to know them well and how they do things luckily I knew this broker for a long time she had worked on our company we had a very good relationship and I'll say the broker let's you and I together work together how do your clients think how do they negotiate and try to understand each other understand each other's client Mm -hmm. and try to bridge the gap between the two. So I think it's really important to communicate. So often, particularly in multiple offers or any offers, it's amazing to me. I'll get, you know, four or five, 10 offers. Maybe only one out of 10 will even bother to call me and talk to me about who the sellers are and why they're selling, which mm. is shocking to me. Because yeah. even if I, there's not other offers on it, I'll call up the agent and we've seen the house. And mm-hmm. during the showings, I'll say, hey, what's going on with your sellers? Why are they selling? Where are they moving to? Do they have a time frame in mind? Um, what's important to them? Is it money? Is it time? Is it, you know, they want a smooth deal? Well, what's important to them? Because everyone has a different trigger, right? right? So I really try to find that out, particularly in multiple offers. Uh, but I always do that because it's important to know what are the expectations on the other side of that seller or buyer and that agent? And and i good at knowing what my client's expectation or what they'll tell me. Mm-hmm. So how do I kind of get us all together quietly? So it's 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 called the art of negotiation for a reason. It really is an art to it. Yeah. It's not just throwing an offer. So. And so I think that's why it's so important to have an agent that's not only just very experienced, but also is well known and has a vast you know, network in the real estate business. Because if you know another agent and they're submitting an offer, there's a difference that there's a different dynamic there, right? Yeah. Then then versus a new agent that you've never worked with. Absolutely. Uh, you have, a, you know, you have a, 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 I would say like a reputation to where other agents know you can get the deal done yeah. and that you've had that experience in the, in the, in the, um, in the business to really make a difference. So I, I think that's a great point about negotiations and uh, and how important that is. And it's not just drama on TV, right? <laughs> As you said, experience and reputation does really matter. Yeah, yeah it absolutely. Really does. So, um, you know, we're, we're a show about getting referrals and we're a show about you know, where do people find high-end mm-hmm. borrowers, buyers. Where do you get your referrals from? Or how, what, where does your business come from? Sphere of influence plan. So my business, and it evolves over years. So as of, as it, in today, my most of my business comes from direct referrals from either real estate brokers I know mm-hmm. or my personal sphere of influence or past clients. Okay. Now, uh, I'm a national, international speaker. I go all around the country and the world speaking at different conferences. So uh, I'm lucky I 
built that and I'm able to be in front of whether it's 500, 1,000, or 10,000 agents at one time where I'm on stage. So I'm luckily in the limelight and people come to meet with me. I give value to them, meaning I'm helping to educate them. Mm -hmm. Then they follow me on social media, so they stay in touch and I stay in touch with them. So I get a lot of referrals from the agent world. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of referrals from my sphere of influence, people I know personally or events and parties, Mm -hmm. and then past clients. So those are the main three referral sources. But in today's world, the people that have money are busy and people in general are busy, whether you have family or whatever. So having YouTube channels, uh, social, being on all the social media platforms, being out there providing uh, consistent content about your field mm-hmm. is very helpful. So a mortgage person, just like a real estate person, for me, it's real simple. they got to remember four things when they see me on social media. My name, Beverly Hills, luxury and real estate. That's it. Right. So for a mortgage broker, your name, you do mortgages, your general area, and whatever else that fourth item is. Maybe what you do best in mortgage, like your niche or the type right. of borrowers that you right. like to work with, yeah. whether it's veterans or whether it's you know self-employed entrepreneurs right. and things like that. Yeah, and a lot of people do have niches. I don't have a particular niche, so but that's Except a good, lo- maybe good luxury. point. Maybe <laughs> luxury. Luxury is a niche, yes. Yes, <laughs> that's cool. So uh, last question I like to ask all my um, guests is, you know, in this in this world and in, in, in business, you have successes and failures, and failures are often looked at, sometimes they're looked at bad, but I think when I look at failures, it's more of a stepping stone, or it's it's another you know way to get to a yes right. or to a to a success. Right. Do you have any stories about a failure that you went through that maybe led to something you know that you appreciate or uh, kind of your favorite failure? I'll give my most recent failure that I did actually did a video about it because I'm trying to provide more. You know. The TV shows, all they see is the flash, the cash, the fancy houses, and right. you know, you start a show at 9 o'clock at night, and by 10 o'clock at night, they've sold a $40 million house, and they have a million dollar check, right? Well, that's a lot of nonsense. That's not really how things work. So sure. a couple weeks ago, I've been working on a listing that was in the $60 million range for about a year and a half. Went to uh, multiple meetings with trustees and lawyers for the listing. Was pretty sure I was getting it, and uh, one of the owners uh, lives in Brazil, and that morning, 6.30 in the morning, Texting me says, uh, we want to talk to you this morning about the listing. So I thought, oh my God, I called, I said, I'm going to get the listing today. I was like, you know, because usually if you're not getting a listing, they just send you an email, right? Right. But he says, so we, I called him up. He, it was him and one of the trustees. We're on a call. I said, this is great. We're going to finalize the price and the terms. And I'd already shown the house to one of my buyers. And then we're on the phone and they were asking me these questions. And it, I know it just didn't sound right. And I said, have you listed the property? And they said, yes, we did actually. And I'm like, and I thought to myself, why we just have a 20 minute conversation about right. the values, what's going on in the marketplace, you know, it just didn't make, so I said, so it took a second to breathe and we had a nice, we ended the conversation nice. I said, well, and I asked, well, what price you listed for? They told me a little bit high. What's the length of term of the listing? It was a five month listing. I would, <laughs> I wanted a year, uh, commission, you know, all little different structures. Right. So, um, Great. We ended up the call. So I got off the call. I called up my wife and I'm like, you won't believe it. I didn't get the listing. I can't believe it. So initially my human nature was like, you know what? It was early in the morning. It was like nine o'clock. I said, you know what? Screw the day. I'm just going to take the day off. Go home. Mm -hmm. Just decompress. And she's like, no, don't do that. And I was kind of upset. And she's like, send them a thank you note, which I always do. And I I was in the mood at that moment. Right. Right. Uh, And I'm like, well, I don't even have his address in Brazil. It's always been phone calls, emails. So I don't have his physical address. And the other trustee, I don't have his address. So 
I said, you know, you're right. She says, thank them for the opportunity. I said, think about it. How many people would love to even just have an opportunity to go even on a listing appointment like that? Right. And he called me out of the blue. I didn't know the guy, the seller. He just called me out of the blue. He'd see me online. He liked me and he called me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, you're right. And I know in this market today, quite often a listing will be on the market four or five times with different brokers before it ultimately sells. Mm-hmm. So I know in this market, I would much rather be the second, third or fourth broker than right. the first. Right. Because I've been the first at times and I didn't get the sale. Mm-hmm. Even a year later and, you know, some houses can take in the high end can cost a hundred, hundred twenty thousand out of your pocket to market for you. Oh, I'm sure. So, uh, so I totally changed my frame of mind. I let it go. I did two videos to them. And I emailed them, thanking them for the opportunity. I said I was honestly a little bit disappointed. I said I was, yeah. I'm a human being, but I wish you the best. I'm always here for you if you have any questions. I will certainly try and show it if I have a buyer. I have another buyer that's coming to town. I want to show it to. I said I wish you the best of luck. If things don't work out, I'm always here for you. And I thank them. I said I really appreciate the opportunity. So if nothing else, I was able to get it out of my head and release my anxiety and stress about it, right. and let it go. So. The faster you let go of disappointments and problems and things that happen that aren't the way you want and learn the lesson, Mm -hmm. the better off you are. Because when that door closes, a bigger, better one opens. And then there's a better opportunity. And you never know if they might come back. It happens. And it happens. They might. Yeah. One of my good friends for years had their house for sale and I would buy a lot of jewelry for them for my wife. And every year they would list their house. And I would see the wife every week or two at her jewelry store. And she'd say, oh, we just listed our house. We just listed our house every six months or eight months. And we'd have cocktails and enjoy and visit. And I would always like, I can't believe this. So <laughs> finally, it was four or five years later, their sixth agent down the road, the listing expired. And the husband called me and said, you know, our listing is expired. I said, look, for this time, let's not just have a phone conversation. Let me just really sit down with you face to face, not as friends, as a professional situation. Right. If you want to listen to me, fine. If you don't, it's okay, too. So I listed the house for... They were, the, the last price was, they were at $7,995,000, they had dropped it to $6,995,000 three weeks before the listing expired. Mm-hmm. And I met with them, they said, what's it worth? I said, $6.5,000,000. He said, what do you want to list it for? I said, six point seven nine. No, 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 we just dropped the price, a million dollars, a million dollars. She was British. I said, <laughs> yes, but you can't go back on the market two weeks later at the same price. Right. It's just not, I said, it's got to be six seven nine nine because at least people see that you're moving forward. Right. So we did that. I built the website called privatecelebritycompound.com. That was the name of the website. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. But it's, it's sold now. Oh, it's gone. Uh, so uh, long and short of it, two weeks later, random 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday, I get a phone call at the office. The phone rings. I pick up mm-hmm. the phone. Ladies go, hey, my husband and I saw your property online. We want to come see it. When? Today? Oh, uh, when? Like 10.30, a couple hours, like an hour later or whatever. I said, uh, who are you? And they told me who it was. And it was a very important business manager for one of the biggest, several big celebrities. I said, great. Gave me the name. So I'm Google searching him on the computer while I'm talking. Mm-hmm. I said, fine. I called up my seller. I said, guys, you got to get out of the house. Why? Well, what? Older couple. I said, you got to move out. Someone's coming at 10.30. So they moved out. <laughs> We sold the house the next day for six and a half million. Wow. I represented the buyer and seller and got a full commission. <laughs> now it took five years yeah. and every time they didn't list with me, I was upset. Right. Uh, but played I played the long it, game. But I still stayed in touch with them. I yeah. still stayed friends, still bought jewelry from her, still went to see them and eventually it happened. Does it always work like that sometimes? No, but that's, that's it'll great. sell by luck to with someone else, but more often than not, if you're consistent like that, yeah. and you don't, you know, treat things in the short with like a short-sighted view, yeah. Yeah. things work out like that. It yeah. just happens. So always do the right thing. Do your best every day, and when disappointments happen, happen, 
let it go, be upset for a minute or two, or move on. The successful people are the ones that have disappointments, but the shorter they can keep that disappointment, the more successful they'll be. Right. The ones that aren't successful live in that disappointment forever, and that's why they never succeed. Great advice. That's true. I really appreciate you <laughs> giving us your time here, and thanks for coming on. Well, the thanks show. for having me. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. thanks for watching. Subscribe and like and comment. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's Fun Loans together.